Uh, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus now, and I pray for your anointing. Uh, God, we are here today um, to celebrate our graduates, but also to make much of you. That's why we gather week in and week out. We want to make much of Jesus, and we will do that. And I pray for your anointing in this moment. I pray that uh, you would allow me to speak truth to your people. You would say what you want to say, and you would give everyone under the sound of my voice, both those watching on the line and, and those who are in uh, these seats, uh, eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to say to your bride. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. Good morning to you. And, um, and before we dig into the word today, just want to give a, uh, a shout out to our graduates. So yeah, congratulations to, to all of you. I'm super proud of you. Um, thanks for letting us be a, a part of a small part of your story. I'm grateful um, for that. I got nothing but love for you. It is my prayer for all of you that you would continue to fall in love with the God who made you and the son who saved you and the spirit who wants to show you the way home. You know, I've been doing this a long time now, uh, and that is because um, I don't believe there's a better way to spend a life than pursuing Jesus. And so uh, I would encourage you to do that with all your might. Don't, don't waste your life. Uh, run, run after him. I think your life will be better, better served for it. Message I'm going to preach today is a, a pretty simple one, um, though I think the best ones usually are. I mean, that's not to say that I think this is going to be one of, one of the best ones, but buckle up. I mean, it's about to get good. I'm um, no, the message is really going to revolve around four uh, pieces of advice that the Apostle Paul shared with the Thessalonians um, 2,000 years ago. And so I'm just going to right now, I know we're just kicking off this thing, but I'm going to go ahead and give you my outline. Like These are my sermon points straight out the gate. Here they are. Uh, piece of advice number one is going to be love more. Love more. Piece of advice number two. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Piece of advice number three, mind your own business. My, that's my favorite. Mind your own business. Piece of advice number four, work with your hands. Work with your hands. Now, the really neat thing about these points is that they're not just mine, like Paul actually says this stuff. These are exact quotes. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 9 through 12, these are Paul's words, straight from his pen. This is what he said. He said, uh, now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. I'm reading from the NIV. Verse 10, and in fact... You do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, some of you, for the very first time, just realized that uh, mind your own business is a statement that's in the Bible. And, uh, and, and you're like, uh, I think I just got a new favorite verse. Like, 
give me the highlighter. I want to highlight that. I think that's one. I'm going to commit that one. I'm committed to, uh, to memorizing that passage. Uh, graduates, like after the service today, when you go and you're having a good lunch somewhere and, and sitting down, people are like, your server's like you in the church. What do they talk about at church? You go, mind your business. And, and I think that would be neat. Tell them. That's what we talked about. Mind your own business. Um, you don't really have to do that. Oftentimes, jokes are better in my mind than they are when they come out of my mouth. Y'all understand that? We've been doing this a long time. I think surely y'all are aware of that. All right, piece of advice number one. Love more. Love more. Now, I find it interesting in this text at the beginning, the portion that we just read, that Paul essentially says to them, he's like, look, um, I don't need to talk to you about love. I don't need to talk to you about love because you've clearly shown that you display it and you clearly show that you have experienced it. Like you've, you, you, God's love is in your life. But then right after that, the very next verse, he talks to them about love. And what he says to them is, he says, I have uh, seen the way that you love one another. And I have heard about how your love has spread all throughout Macedonia. And then he goes, but let me urge you to love more and more. Like, don't stop there. He goes, I've seen the way that you love each other. It's beautiful. I've heard about the way your love is spreading throughout Macedonia. And now I'm urging you, man, keep going. Love more and more. Now, what Paul is doing here, I think, is very subtle, but it's brilliant. I think he's speaking to what should be the natural progression of love in the life of every believer. Like, I think what Paul is speaking to here is what should be love's trajectory. I mean, here's the thing, church. If you have had an encounter with God in the way of Jesus, if you have experienced the great grace that can only come to you by way of the gospel, then you should be growing in love. Like, can we own that? Like, you should be more loving five years from now than you are right now. Ten years from then, you should be more loving then. You should be becoming more hopeful, not more cynical. You should be becoming more graceful, not more judgmental, more loving, not more apathetic. Because once grace enters a person's life, it won't stop until it takes complete control. When the Bible talks about sanctification, that's what it's talking about. Some about the work of grace and love in our lives. I once heard a preacher talk about this in this way. He said that over time, as believers, we should see love move in our lives from me to we to everybody. Like if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been doing this a long time, part of the maturation process in your spiritual life is that you should see evidence of love moving in your life from me to we to everybody. This is what I mean. It's a fairly simple concept, I think. If when we first encounter the love of God, we have to let it change us. We, we have to come to see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us. That's what happens when we're first introduced to the gospel. That's, about, that's the me side of it. And then once we have been introduced to the gospel and we see ourselves the way Jesus sees us, we have to allow that to spread to the people in our community. Like the people that we do sports with, the, the people that we go to school with, or the people that we work with. We have to then begin to see them the way that Jesus sees them. That's the we. 
And then if we stay true to the gospel and ultimately to the Great Commission, then at some point we should be going to the ends of the earth where we encounter people who don't look like us, talk like us, think like us, or believe like us. And we have to learn to see them the way that Jesus sees them. That's the everybody. That is love's trajectory. That's the natural progression of love that should be taking place in all of your lives if you're a follower of Jesus. It starts with me, it expands to we, and its ultimately end is the love of everybody. Does that make sense? I mean, I think it's simple in concept, but it's a powerful truth. Not in my notes, but I think this is important. A lot of arguments begin in the church because people are in different places when it comes to this concept. Okay, people are at different stages. There are people, young Christians who are still very much in the me stage, more mature ones who are in the we stage, and then probably the most mature in the everybody stage. Okay, but what happens sometimes, I mean, when I came here 10 years ago and people talked about Whitestone Church, like the very first thing they would say is they would say, you know, Whitestone, that is the Haiti church. Like that's what the place is known for. That's the Haiti church. And when some people said that, they were saying it as a compliment. But when some people said it, they were saying it as a, a criticism. Because there are some people who are saying, man, that place, don't, all, all they care about is like hungry kids in Haiti. Why do they, we got hungry kids in Jellicoe. We got hungry kids in We got kids like within a 30-mile present. Why, why are we not caring about them? Why you know, send money and do the, the work over there? And I understand that. I think that's a reasonable criticism. But at the same time, a lot of times that's coming from people who are stuck in the we stage. Like they're in the we stage just going, hey, take care, of, take care of we. They don't get the perspective like, how dare you love everybody? Like, no, keep it here. They haven't grown yet. That's okay. We're all a part of that process. I mean, if you're being honest with yourself on your own personal journey, like where are you at with that? You know, are you still at a stage where you're like, it's about me? Or have you expanded to the it's about we? Or have you reached that everybody stage that is the trajectory of love. Like another way to think about it is to go, it starts personal. Then it goes local. Then it goes national. Then it goes international. And that's what the Thessalonians were experiencing. Like this, it's not, this isn't my idea. It, it's beautiful. Thessalonica was a port city in the midst of Macedonia. I think it would be fair for us to say, though it certainly wouldn't be to scale, that as Thessalonica was to Macedonia, Knoxville is to Tennessee. It's like just a smaller portion of this larger territory. And so when Paul comes in, he says to them in this text, he's saying to them, I have seen how you've loved each other. That's the me. And then he goes, and I've also seen your love has expanded throughout Macedonia. That's the we. But then he says to them, don't stop there. Love more and more. Let it expand to everybody. Church, ultimately, that's how we change the world, you know? Starts with us, and then it grows, and it expands. That's how the gospel gets to, ultimately, to the ends of the earth. And I think it's probably a good sign for us that the Thessalonians live that way, that we're t still telling this story, you know? We're still talking about the work that, that happened there. Piece of advice number one, love more. Continue to grow in love. Piece of advice number two, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Do I need to change it out? Am I good? Make it your ambition to lead. That's, I need to make it my ambition to lead a quiet, quieter life, I guess. <laughs> now, I'm not going to talk about this one very long, okay? 
Um, but I do have some things that I, I want to say about it. Can we just acknowledge right at the outset of this statement how countercultural this idea is? Like the idea that somebody would tell us right now in the year that we live in, hey, why don't you make it your ambition, make it your goal to be quieter? Like make it your goal to lead a quieter life. I mean, if we're being honest, I think most of us would look at our lives and think we, we live pretty loud. I mean, this is an example I'll give. You know, uh, nobody can just go to breakfast anymore. You can't, just go, you can't just go to breakfast anymore. I mean, like if you, let's say you wake up on a Saturday morning and um, you, you're going to go to breakfast at Pete's downtown and the first thing you got to do is you got to uh, get on Facebook, like a little status update and you're going to like, hey, I am going to breakfast at uh, Pete's this morning. Hard eyes emoji right there. Boom, put it up there because I'm looking forward to eating that breakfast. And you put that on, on your status update and then you go to Pete's to have breakfast and you order an omelet there because they're delicious and they bring the omelet out and they put it in front of you and you take a picture of that omelet and you put it on Instagram and you're like, I am about to chow down on this omelet, you know, like uh, hashtag Knox Foodie, you know, like you put that on there, right? And then uh, after you devour the omelet and you're like on your way home, you go on Twitter and you tweet out, you're like, just had the best omelet of my life at Pete's this morning. You know, it was amazing. Hashtag nom, 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 right? And if you're under 25 years old, the whole time you're doing this, you're also just taking these random pictures of like the side of your face and the wall behind you to send the snaps to all of your friends. Like that's the one I really don't. But the whole time it's just like this random. I'm like, why did you just take a picture of the plate? Like I don't, I don't get it. But that, that's a, that's a thing that's happening. And I think that is, uh, we're leading these really uh, loud lives. Like, we can't just go to, you know, you can't just go to breakfast anymore. Like, you've got to shout to the world, like, hey, I'm eating breakfast. I'm having breakfast today. I don't know if y'all realize it or not, but I am eating breakfast. Notice me. Pay attention to me. Acknowledge me. Let me know that I've been seen. Give me some attention. Most of us lead these really loud lives. And I think Paul would say to us, enough of it. Enough of that. Make it your ambition to lead quiet lives. Like, slow down. Listen. Be silent for a little while. Rest. Take a deep breath. N.T. Wright once said this, and I think it's so good. He said, it's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. It's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. Isn't that a great quote? Also only when we lead quiet lives that we can hear God. I mean, that's Bible. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know. You want to know, you have to be still. Now, some of you might say, and I think you would have a pretty good argument. You might go, well, you know, Brock, let's be honest for a second. Paul didn't seem like he, he lived a really quiet life, and he didn't. I mean, if you look at Paul's life, he was constantly preaching the gospel. Everywhere he went, he was proclaiming the, the name of Jesus. He caused dissension and controversy in almost every, every city that he ever walked. And yet what I want you to see there is the difference between the way we live and the way Paul lived. Notice the difference. 
Paul was never saying, look at me. He was always saying, look to Jesus. It was never, look at me. I'm eating breakfast. Pay attention to me. See me. He's going, no, look past me. I'm nothing. Look to the one who is everything. It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. I think that's the difference. You know, the gospel was never meant to lead to individual fame, but to communal distinctiveness. This is something that I think is really important, especially in a day and an age where, for whatever reason, we live at a time right now where there are a lot of like so-called celebrity Christians. And, and I really, and I have a hard time with that because I really don't think that the gospel was ever meant to lead to individual fame, but to communal distinctiveness. We don't do what we do so people will see us. We do what we do so people will see Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about me. It's about him. If I ever make it about me, it has become a problem. And it's our pride that is constantly shouting to us, going, it's about us, it's about us, it's about us. And the spirit within is whispering, going, no, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. That's the difference. You can live as loud life as you want to if you're proclaiming the gospel. Like, go out there, stop worrying about telling your story, make sure, make sure you're heard or saying. Tell his story. Be as loud as you want to in that a humble you is the best way to show people a faithful Jesus. Will somebody say amen? Amen. Piece of advice number two, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Piece of advice number three, this is my favorite, mind your own business. Mind your own business. Now, that's a phrase to me that um, I think has been given an unnecessary negative connotation. You know? I mean, typically when we think about the phrase mind your business or mind your own business, what we're thinking about is like maybe we're, you know, somewhere and we're like people are talking and we're snooping into what they into their conversation and they like turn to us and they're like, hey, uh, mind your own business. Like get, you know, stay, stay out of this. Like that's usually what we associate with this idea of minding our own business. But I don't think that's what Paul was talking about here. I don't think that's the way that Paul intended to use this phrase. I actually think Paul was saying this. Stop caring about what everybody else is doing and start doing what you're supposed to do. Stop caring about what everybody else is doing and just get to work doing what you're supposed to do. Stop meddling and get to work. I'm going to share with you a, uh, a secret this morning, church, and here, here it is. Very simple truth. Make a big difference in your life, though, I think, if you learn to apply it, Okay. You can't care about everything. Did you hear me? Like, you can't, it's impossible. You can't care about everything, and you were never meant to. I mean, Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. He has a plan and a purpose for all of your lives. Like there is a plan and there is something that you are supposed to be about. There is work that you're supposed to do in the time that you're on this planet. And that's what you should be focused on. That's your business. That is your affairs. Like that's where you, your focus should be. But if you aren't careful, people are going to try to convince you that their causes are more important than Christ's call. Please hear that. If you aren't very careful, people are going to try to convince you that their causes are more important than Christ's call. 
You know, these are the people who will say things like, you know, if you don't care about this thing that I care about deeply, whatever that thing is, like if you don't care, you're not a Christian. Well, I got news for them, church. They're not the ones who made me a Christian, so they can't take it away. You know, we can't let somebody... If you try to care about everything, you'll never accomplish anything. If you try to care, it, it will take too much time. Like, we don't have time. We don't have the capacity. Now, this is, Francis Chan says it this. This is my favorite quote in Until Unity. This is the way he says it. He says, we live in a time when there's a lot to care about. God gives people differently. And he stirs them up differently for the sake of different causes that are all on his heart. I may care about starving children more than you do. You may care about racial reconciliation more than I do. Someone else may care about the torture of Christians in persecuted countries more than we do. It doesn't mean we don't care. It's just that we will never all care equally. And unlike God, we only have so much capacity to take on action. Church, hear me. It's okay to narrow your focus. Like, it's okay for you time trying to tend to the part of the kingdom to you. It is okay for you to just be focused on minding your own business, taking care of your own affairs. I would say that it's not just okay, it's necessary. If you want to live a life that matters, it's got to be, it's got to be a focused life. And I'm going to be real with you all this morning, church, okay? This has been a hard lesson for me. It's been a hard one for me to come to. Uh, about eight months ago, I put out a video on Instagram where uh, in the video I asked friends on Instagram, I think it also ended up going on Facebook, uh, for, to try to raise $10,000. And um, with that $10,000, I wanted to use half of it to buy an enclosed trailer. I wanted to use the other half to fill it with foster care goods so that when families had needs, we would be able to immediately meet those needs, drive the trailer right up to their house, take, they have whatever they want off of the trailer. And man, it was a beautiful thing. I mean, honestly, within like two weeks time, whole thing, we had all the money that we needed to take care of the thing. We bought the trailer quickly. It was kind of a miracle that the trailer even opened up and we got it outfitted with goods. It was beautiful. But the thing that made uh, working with this, this foster a little bit different than the work that normally do with the church is that because this was more of a personal deal, like something I was doing on my own, uh, I actually saw what people gave to the trailer. You know, like I was the one who the money came, like when money came in, like I saw because it was, this was like my thing. It wasn't like a church designated thing. I mean, if you give money to Haiti, I have no idea that you give money to Haiti. I don't want to know. If you tie to our church, put money in it, I have no idea. Paper, I never see it. I don't want to see it. But because of the circumstances of this thing, I actually knew, you know, who was given and who wasn't to this, to this project. And it got done quickly. Thankfully, there were several uh, individuals who really rose up, wrote big checks. It was taken care of. Well, after it was done that week, I'm riding with Mark the van. We're like going to the hospital or something. I'm not even sure what we were doing. Um, but I say to, to Mark and guys, listen, it pains me to say this out loud. Okay. But I just want to tell you the truth because I think y'all are just as broken as I am. I say to Mark, I go, uh, Oh, listen, I was like, man, I'm so thankful that God took care of this, of this thing. I'm so thankful that God, but I go, I really thought that there'd be a lot more people give to this thing than did. 
I was really loud. I was like, I thought this was something that, you know, that people would buy into more, more than they did. And Mark just stopped me right there, and he's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, you need to celebrate. He's like, God gave you a vision. He saw the vision to completion. Stop worrying about what everybody else does. He's like, you have no, it's not your job to police the rest of the spiritual community to go, hey, this matters to me, so it should matter to all of you. That's not my task. My job as your pastor is not to make sure that you buy into the work that I do, but that you're doing the work you're supposed to do. That's a big difference. To me, that's what Paul's talking about when he says, mind your business. I asked you this morning, church, are you minding your own business? Hey, are, are you worried about everything else that's going on in the world? Or do you have like a laser-like focus that's leading you to go, no, I'm going to do what God has for me. I'm going to be about his business. I'm going to mind my own business. I mean, listen, that's the kind of wisdom that just comes off of Mark Zimmerman's lips on random Tuesdays, okay? I mean, can you imagine getting to be Angie and living with that? Whew. <laughs> Powerful stuff. You try to care about everything You'll never actually do anything. Does that resonate with anybody? I mean, it means something to me. If you waste all your time trying to get information about everything and caring about it all, you'll never work. You'll never do anything. This is piece of advice number three, mind your business. Piece of advice number four, work with your hands. Work with your hands. The full quote says this. says, work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. That's the full quote. And to finish this one, I'm going to call my sons Lange and Riggs to come up here with me and to help me out. Come on, dudes. I asked him this morning if they would do this and Riggs is like, sure. And Langston's like, uh, I'm not going to say anything, but I'll come up there for moral support. And so... Um, so here he is. Come on up. Do you want to talk a little bit this time? No. He's like, I'm already facing my fears, Dad. You're going to have me up there in front of like 100 people. So, all right, Riggs. This is what I want you to tell these, these beautiful people out here, okay? Uh, every, I, I take you to school every day, right? Yeah, okay. That's all I want you to tell them. So, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, every day when I drop you off at school, uh, what do I say to you? Say it into the mic. God loves you. Wait. Is the mic not on? No. No, it's not. I got it. What do I say to you every morning when I drop you off at school? Wait. Okay. Um, God loves you. He's on your side. He relentlessly pursues you. Whatever your hand finds to do, do the best of your abilities. Make good friends. Be a good friend. That's right. Thanks. You nailed it, dude. Great job. So if you didn't hear him, and I, and I think you, you probably did, he said, he said it pretty quickly, but every, every day when I drop him off at school, I say the same thing to him. I say, God loves you. He's on your side. He relentlessly pursues you. And then I say, whatever your hand finds to do, do to the best of your ability. Good friends, be a good friend. Now the portion that I want to focus uh, to, to close with is just that part where I say, whatever your hand finds to do, do to the best of your abilities, that's actually Bible, okay? That comes from Ephesians chapter 9, verse 10. 
So when Paul speaks here about the work of your hands, he's not just talking about do work, but he's talking about do your best work. Do your best work. You know, church, I think that Christian students should be the best students. Like, I think Christian doctors should be the best doctors. I think Christian teachers should be the best teachers. Christian janitors should be the best janitors. Why? Because we work for the Lord, not for ourselves. Because we recognize that everything that we do with our hands is a reflection of how we've experienced God. And so we are to do the best work that we can do. It's one of the ways that we should distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world. Like if you're a believer, the people that you work with should be able to tell. I can tell by his work ethic. I can tell by her passion. I can tell by project. That's why to me it's so important. Every day I say that to Lane and Riggy. Four pieces of advice I've got for you. Nothing more, nothing less. Love more. Make it your ambition to lead quiet lives. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you do. Continue to to speak truth to your people today. Um, Something in my spirit tells me there's somebody in here who knows work that they're supposed to be doing that they just kind of laid aside for a little while. Let the day be the day that they pick it back up. God, let us not just be hearers of the word, but help us to be doers. What we can consider ourselves disciples is not because we come and sit down and we listen to a word, but because we apply it when we walk out those doors. God, I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for your spirit, for your direction, for your love. Continue to move in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.